Hello, hello, and welcome to Soccer Man in Portland on OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. My name is Chris Reifer, and sitting just on the other side of the internet from me is the Timbers and Thorns beat writer for the Oregonian and OregonLive.com, Jamie B. Goldberg. Jamie B., been a couple of weeks since we talked. How's it going? Yeah, it has been a couple of weeks. I don't think we've talked since I was down in Tucson, uh, so that feels like it was already a while ago. We've, I've been to Tucson, come back, seen the team train here as well, uh, so it's been a little bit. It has been a little bit to the extent when we were putting together our uh, mental notes, I had to be like, what has happened since we last spoke? And you had to correct me and be like, oh, yeah, the whole Breakers thing, the entire Breakers thing, including the Thorns picking up not one, not two, but three different players has all happened since we last spoke. So yeah. <laughs> uh, we got a little bit of ground to cover. Let's jump right on into it then. Uh, start off with the Timbers. You were down in Tucson, as you noted, for a few days. Uh, you've had like a bajillion and a half stories come out of that over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, so feel free, uh, if not encouraged, to plug those as you go through. Uh, but also just give me your impressions. I, what were sort of your takeaways uh, from seeing those few days of camp as opposed to the previous years uh, of, you know, sort, sort of similar time camp that, that you saw. Uh, anybody that particular stood out, particularly stood out to you uh, on the team as somebody that might be a riser or a faller? What, what were your, your big takeaways? Yeah, I, I think when you look at camp so far, I think there's two major differences is that I really haven't seen the Timbers do many running drills at all. I, I mean, under Caleb, they did spend a lot of time with the ball during preseason. So I don't think that's very different uh, than geos format, but they also did do running tests. We, there was the annual, uh, test where they would just run around the field and, uh, and be time. Which we would have had a new seen. champion this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because Ben uh, Zemanski was like, it was like the perennial champion of, of that race. And so there would have been a new title holder this year, and, and we are deprived. Of and that it wouldn't now. have been Diego Chara either, who was usually number two. That's true. So the, there would have been we we are deprived of that. Um, but I haven't seen a ton wide of open. you know wide open. Um, yeah, I haven't seen a ton of them running around like that. It's much more been fitness through training, and they've been doing two a days. I think that's the other big thing that stood out. They've been practicing a lot more than they have in past seasons. And I think to some degree that makes sense with a new coach trying to implement a new style. Uh, but, but Gio definitely has worked these guys hard. Uh, that being said, the, the interesting thing we're seeing, and I, I think I was talking to Zarek Valentin about this, and I, th- I think one of the reasons is because they haven't been doing quite as much just straight running fitness, uh, is that it does seem to be a pretty happy fun loving atmosphere going on right now the, the guys do seem to be enjoying the workouts even though they've been training two a days almost every single day uh, and I think that has to do with the fun games that Gio's kind of trying to put into training and, and the fact that it's been a lot less straight fitness and more on field with the soccer ball type preseason work uh, it's also interesting to see both Gio and Carlos Lamosa his assistant coach jumping into training every once in a while that that's something we didn't see that often with Caleb, obviously Caleb, uh, had a little bit of a stint at the pro level too, but, uh, I think had had surgeries on both his knees probably wasn't quite as easy for him to jump in Gio and, uh, Carlos have been out there, uh, quite a bit jumping into some small sided drills, uh, throughout training. So that's been interesting to see. It, those are some of the differences. Uh, I think in terms of the players coming back, it, it's hard to judge too much Yet, we haven't seen a ton of games in preseason so far, and I don't want to take away from what we're going to say in the Timbers, uh, the game we are going to talk about with the Timber sounders game. 
Uh, so I'll, I'll leave that a little bit to that. But uh, I, I think we're going to see more as it, the preseason goes along, especially since we've had some big players, some important players like Andy Polo coming in. Um, and uh, now Samuel Armenteros coming in uh, just in the last few uh, week or so. So uh, as these players get integrated, I, I think it's going to be a lot more interesting to see uh, how some of the new guys are fitting in. You know, just in talking to folks uh, sort of within the Timbers over the course of the last few weeks or so, uh, I like basically, I, I think I talked to two people who like sort of com- completely independently, not prompted, both sort of mentioned what you mentioned uh, about it being a little bit more of a, you know, a, a lighter atmosphere. I don't know if I would call it a more fun atmosphere, that kind of thing. But I mean, just kind of saying that that it just felt like it was a, a, a little bit more, a, a little bit lighter this year than it has been in years past. It's something that I think has come through in the social media presence uh, for the Timbers. That could also just be because of the social media, <laughs> the way they're doing social media this year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, from just talking to folks, it sounds to me like the, that is also reflected sort of on the field and, and 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 with the way the team is going about Tucson as well. So, I mean, I, I, I guess I have no idea if that means they're likely to be better or worse or what. But it is nonetheless a thing, a thing to note. Um you know, the other thing, just in the sort of the name that I've heard come up a couple times, uh, not necessarily tied to a, to a particular game like the Sounders game, but just in having a good camp on the whole has been Bill Tuiloma. Uh, and, and and that's not to say that, you know, Bill Tuiloma is going to start or anything like that or, or, or that, you know, he's doing any better than any of the new guys. But just as, as sort of a, uh, a player who has been with the Timbers and, and who is coming back, uh, and, you know, and is in a, a position where in camp he's trying to sort of make a claim to being in sort of the playing rotation and not just merely seen as like a, an emergency depth guy. It sounds like Tui Loma is having a pretty good camp uh, and, and and has impressed thus far. So that's the only other thing that I've kind of heard on on that basis uh, other than doing exactly what you said we're going to do next, which is talk about the Timbers 2-1 lost thing, uh, sort of like a whose line is it anyway lost uh, lost to, to the Sounders. That was that game was split a little bit differently. The Timbers split 30-30-30 between uh, teams more or less with some bleeding over uh, in, in various parts. The Sounders basically went 45-45. Uh, so that was a little bit different. Um, but yeah, uh, let's just do it this way because I think it's probably more productive than talking about, especially with that first real game, second kind of game uh, of preseason. Let's uh, let's identify uh, each of us a, a winner and a loser individually uh, coming out of that game. Jamie, who are you, who is your winner and loser for the Timbers? I think my winner was Marco Farfan. I, I think he I think he has shown uh, in preseason so far, and he's a guy that I, I wanted to point to. Um, that he has made some improvements in the offseason. He looks like he's, you know, put on some muscle. And I, I think in that game, he really impressed. He did not look his age playing um, in, in that game and just in general in, in preseason and now heading into his second year as a pro. And I think that is going to be a very interesting uh, kind of competition for that left back spot. Vitas absolutely comes in as the starter, but uh Gio has said some really good things about Marco, and, and I think it showed, especially in that game. And I think that's going to be one position to watch. I, I think on the loser side, I, I think it might be a little unfair for his entire performance out there, but Jack Barnby gave away a, a pretty bad ball, and I, I think that definitely stood out in the the match. I didn't think he had a great 
outing. Um, so I, yeah, I didn't think that was the best game from him by any means. So I, Marco Farfan absolutely would have been my winner as well. I thought he was, you know, I, I mean, as you said, I, I thought he was basically the, the timber that by far most exceeded expectations in, uh, in that game. You know, there's one guy that, that I actually saw get a little bit of flack after the game, uh, that I, I also wanted to point that I also wanted to point out that I thought was quite good. And that was Liam Ridgewell. I thought Ridgewell was pretty darn good in the game, and I, and I thought he had a really difficult uh, sort of uh, job to do with, with the way the Sounders came out in narrow diamond four four two. I don't think the Timbers expected that, and even if they expected it, I doubt they would have prepared for it because first game of preseason, whatever. Uh, but as a result of that, the 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 Timbers' central defense and defensive midfield really had a lot of numbers to track. And there were a number of times that I, I, I thought when Ridgewell had difficult jobs to do as a result of that, uh, and yet co- covered pretty well. I agreed. Listen to Talk Timbers uh, this last week, uh, and Ross Smith made the same point. I agree with him completely on that. And so, uh, you know, there there were folks that were sort of understandably concerned uh, about the amount that the Timbers were losing Jordan Morris in behind and and sort of getting flooded by numbers. But there was a reason. There was a very tactical reason why that was happening. In addition to not having Diego Chara, which would have, which would have helped in that regard, uh, and and I thought Ridgewell overall acquitted himself fairly well. So uh, I am declaring him my winner here, only because I kind of want to talk about somebody else a little bit later. Um, and then uh, as for my loser, I'm going to stay in that first unit, and I'm going to say Lawrence Olam. Uh, I w- was not terribly impressed with Olam. I, I thought he was pretty well overrun, albeit with that difficult job. Uh, and, and, and I didn't think he showed very well, uh, in, in dealing with it. And I thought as a result, the center backs had an awfully lot to do, had a lot of messes to clean up, uh, because the, the, the Timbers defensive midfield and especially Olam just did not look up to the task, uh, of handling what the Sounders were, were throwing at them, at them. And so, you know, I mean, this is probably unfair because, I mean, there were a lot of guys that you could point at and say, hey, it looked a little off. I thought Fernando Adi didn't, didn't look like he was in regular season form. Well, it's the first game of preseason, so there you go. Uh, Laris Mabiala, same kind of thing. I thought Alvis Powell, same kind of thing. Hey, so David Guzman even, you know, so you can list off these guys. But the reason I focus on Olam here as a loser is that, look, there are real questions about where Olam's going to shake out in the in the pecking order. If a guy like Tui Loma is having a good preseason and is having – uh, a, a productive camp, you could very well see Tuiloma take his spot uh, in, in the central defense pecking order, potentially even in the central midfield pecking order. But really, you look especially at, at somebody like uh, Christian Paredes could very well slide in and, and be that, that third defensive midfielder, uh, whether it's as a six or an eight, and he is certainly more of an eight, but both uh, Guzman and Chara can both either go six, eight. And so you would expect that to happen. So you sort of start to look around at Olam's spot on the team and you're like, well, if he's not having a great camp, where is he going to be in the depth chart? Is he really going to get playing time? And I didn't think he made a very strong case uh, for why he should be in a playing uh, a playing position in the depth chart uh, against the Sounders. Okay, uh, let's, let's talk about Paredes and Andy Polo, both of whom we saw for the first time in a Timbers training uniform. Uh, against the Sounders, what do you think? Did either, both, or neither stand out to you? I, I think it's really hard to judge from that game, especially, I mean, both of them were coming in days before uh, just joining the team. It, it was a it was a big ask for both of them coming in. I, I thought Polo had 
some poor moments. But I, I think one of the, the biggest things in terms of him, I, I took away his just, you know, his speed and his ability to kind of drive towards goal, make things happen in the attack. I, I mean, he had a few uh, moments where you could really see what what it was he brings to this team. I, I just think it's hard to read too much into, and I, I think it would be too much to expect uh, him to have a ton of those moments after, I believe, just one or two days uh, in camp before that game. I completely agree with respect to Polo. Uh, I, you know, I, I thought, it, frankly, I was kind of encouraged that he did have a few moments uh, where he did, uh, you know, find uh, find spots to to create trouble in behind, uh, to to create some danger. I don't think you can reasonably expect a whole lot more, given that he had been there only one or two days training with the team b- before that game. And so, I mean, he really was super super fresh in camp. And so, I don't think he, that's why he played with the second unit, uh, or, or really the third unit. Uh, the second and a half unit kind of as they did that last 30 minutes. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense and, and basically just explains, you know, some of the loose touches and, and, and some of the misreads uh, and things like that. So you can't really come down on him uh, on that basis. I want to praise Chris, uh, Christian Paredes, though. I, I thought he was quite good, uh, really looked uh, looked in command uh, of what he was doing in central mid- midfield, especially in possession, especially going forward. Uh, I thought he created a lot of linkages that, frankly, having only been there for a week or so, I would not have expected him to make. Uh, and, and I thought he was he was even dangerous uh, getting uh, into the box. So I thought it was an enticing first look uh, at a young eight who looks like he's maybe a little bit more developed uh, and advanced in his offensive part of the game uh, than he is in the defensive part of the game. Whether that's sort of a mirage of just having only seen him now uh, for a short spell uh, or, or, or whether it's reality is another question. Uh, and, and we'll very much have to see uh, how he looks through the course of the rest of preseason. But for him, I, I given how long he'd been there and, and given sort of where he is in the depth chart, the fact that he's a young player coming and taking a step up in level, uh, I thought he looked very much like he belonged. Uh, and, and so that is, uh, in my view, a very positive thing. Uh, from from his perspective. Do you agree with that about Paredes? Yeah, uh, I think that was, that's probably the right takeaway that, you know, he did look like he belonged. And I, I think he is a guy, it'll be really interesting to see how much playing time he gets this year and how much of a role he plays. He certainly looks like he has the potential, as you said, to be that third D mid and to really contribute this year, especially as we know, um, Davi Guzman's going to miss time. We, there's probably going to be some times that Char misses time as well. He he could p- play a really important role this year. So the news once we got back from Tucson, once the Timbers got back to Portland uh, for a week plus uh, in, in the Rose City for folks to see their families, have some Portland training time, uh, break in some of the new bells and whistles at the training facility, uh, is that the Timbers have signed a TAM-level striker, Sam- Samuel Armenteros, uh, he comes from uh, from directly uh, the the worst team in Italy, Serie A, Benevento uh, Calcio. Uh, he w- he was only there for a matter of about a half season or so for a few months. Uh, previously, he was playing for Heracles in uh, in in the Dutch Eredivisie, uh, for whom he scored 19 goals last year, which is a good number of goals. Uh, at Benevento, he scored one, which is not a very good number of goals. Uh, and, and so that really explains why the Timbers were able to get him sort of on a TAM level contract. It sounded like he had uh, a move back to Holland sort of, sort of lined up, but that was blocked because 
uh, because he played 45 minutes back in the in the late summer or fall for uh, for Heracles's uh, sort of B team, the reserve team, uh, but that was nonetheless deemed a, a an official competition. And as a result, he couldn't be registered for a third team in the same season, so he couldn't go back to Europe. He had to come to a place where it's a new season. Lo and behold, it's a new season here in Portland. Uh, and as a result, here he is in Portland. Um, so let's start here because this is something we've talked about a lot over the course of the offseason. And that's just, hey, the Timbers really did it. They've been talking about it. Uh, we've been saying it sounds like they're going to do it, but they really did it. They signed another striker. They signed a guy that they expect to give a lot of minutes to up top at number nine. What are your thoughts uh, on, on doing this vis-a-vis giving young guys like maybe a Jeremy Abobasi or, or a Foster Langsdorf? maybe a clearer shot into first team minutes. What do you think? I mean, I think it's going to be tough. And I, I think that last year when we were talking about the competition between Maddox and Abobasi, it, it was a close enough competition where you could say, yeah, give Abobasi the minutes over Maddox. Maddox isn't here for the long term. Well, well, the guy they're bringing in now, Armenteros, is a guy that's capable of pushing Audi for minutes. It is a guy that could earn some starts this year. And I think it's going to be very tough to to see a way that a Bobasi or uh, other young players are going to start over him or come on, come in off the bench over him. I, I think it's going to be up to Gio to find moments uh, when he can uh, give a Bobasi minutes. I, I mean, they might play in four four two at sometimes. Bobasi could be an option off the bench, and, and there just might be some games. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how Gio compares to Caleb in that aspect. They're, they're throughout a 34 game season. He, he could still be capable of finding games, finding right moments when, when he goes to a Bobasi uh, because of the scoreline or because of the situation or, or because he just wants to give him an opportunity. But I, I definitely think it's going to be harder now and it's going to take some work uh, from the team to find a way to not completely block these young players from getting a chance to develop with first game, first team minutes. It's definitely going to be harder. It's going to be much, much harder uh, to find these guys first team minutes. I mean, you know, somebody like Abobasi, who, you know, I guess I assume uh, will be on the depth chart above Langsdorf, uh, at least to start the season. Um, yeah, I mean, he's the third striker now. Uh, and and it's going to be, you know, there are minutes for a third striker. You know, if Adi is, you know, maybe picks up a red card or something like that or or, or picks up a knock uh, or, or similarly with Ar- Ar- Armenteros or something like that, you could definitely see uh, a Jeremy Abobasi finding a way to to get some minutes, maybe a couple hundred minutes over the course of the season, but it's not going to be a lot uh, unless something truly catastrophic happens, uh, which you definitely do not root for. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's a it's a it creates a serious challenge for these guys uh, when it comes to the first team, but that just leads more toward what the Timbers are going to do with T two this year, which means look, I mean it, just to put this in, in in very stark terms, they've got to get it right. Because it's clear that, that however they're going to develop guys like Jeremy Abobasi, Foster Langsdorf, Eric Williamson, uh, and, and a number of their younger uh, sort of high offside players, a lot of their minutes are going to come with T2. Uh, and, and if T2 isn't in good enough shape that those minutes are meaningful and developmental, that's going to be a huge problem for the development of these players. And so uh, so not only is it going to be on Geo to find a way to, to get guys that earn it, uh, minutes in the first team, but it's also going to be on the Timbers organization as a whole. It's also going to be on Cameron Knowles to find a way to make T2 a much, much, much better developmental mechanism than it was uh, than it was last year. So, you know, I mean, it, how do I feel uh, about this? There's definitely the downside 
uh, of putting some more barriers in, in front of somebody like an Obasi or, or a Langsdorf uh, before they're they're able really to get meaningful first team minutes. But at the same time, it's clear what the Timbers were going for here. And I think it, it makes it pretty understandable uh, that the Timbers were interested in, in, in making this move. Uh, when you consider when you consider the dynamic, especially that they had between Maxi Rudy and Fernando Adi uh, in 2014 and 2015, when the two of them just ran roughshod over, over the league, they, in those two years, regular season and playoffs, those two guys scored something like 40 goals combined. Uh, and and the Timbers want that. They want the, clearly that sort of platoon uh, of a striker where they've got a couple guys that are going to contrast in styles. Adi's going to Adi's going to get in there and he's going to bang and he's got good feet. Uh, he, he's going to be. Uh, he, he, he's going to be a guy that's going to dominate physically, the, whose holdup play is going to be excellent. And then you've got an Armenteros who's got a little bit more pace, who's got a little bit more movement to him, uh, and is going to operate in the open field a little bit better uh, than, Adi, than Adi does, like Rudy did uh, back in 2014 and 2015. So if the Timbers can, can recreate that kind of a dynamic, look, I mean, the short and medium term uh, you know, payoff for that is, is huge. Uh, even if there are potential long, long-term downsides, uh, the short and, and medium-term payoff for that could be very, very significant. So, you know, I, I think that's the way I, like, you know, I think I've probably talked myself into this move over the course of the last couple of weeks. I also think Armenteros, given what the Timbers had to spend spend in, in that spot, is a very good signing, and that, so that makes it a lot easier uh, to talk uh, or at least as far as a resume goes, that is an, an exceptionally good resume, having posted four double-digit uh, goal seasons in Eredivisie over his career, only 27 years old still, uh, so plenty of, uh, of miles left on those Michelins. Uh, I think that is a very good credential player to bring in at a TAM level there, and so that makes it easier to justify. But, you know, that is the rationale for why the Timbers would do this. And, yeah, you know, I, I, I think it is certainly a well-thought-out rationale. Whether they're able to execute it, whether they're able to still get uh, guys like Abobasi and Langsdorf uh, meaningful uh, and meaningfully developmental minutes is an open question. And and they got to do that. Uh, from Brandon, he also asks a meaningful question. And, and he asks, with the signing of Armenteros, how likely is it that Fernando Adi is transferred by the Timbers this summer? Jamie? I think the chances of Audi getting transferred certainly goes up. I, I think if Armenteros comes in and, and pushes Audi to the point where the Timbers prefer to start him over Audi, that's going to lead to them wanting to transfer Audi and seeing what they can get for him in the summer, especially if they think Abobasi is maybe lighting it up at T2 and is ready to be in that number two role and they don't want to stand in his way anymore. And Armenteros is... Uh, performing for the first team, it would make a lot of sense for them to look at that point, um, hopefully uh, at a point where Audi has done well and his value is high enough to look to transfer him. At the same time, I, I think your point of what the Timbers are going for with uh, having Audi and Armenteros in sort of a similar vein as to having Audi and Yerudi, uh back in 14 and 15 indicates that this is something they would like to stick with if it works. If they both players are performing and the platoon is working out and the Timbers are fighting for first place or the top of the Western Conference and it looks like they can make a real run at MLS Cup t- this year, then I think they have a lot of incentive to keep Audi and, and continue going with this platoon. Same as if uh, Abobasi really isn't performing and they really don't have uh, a guy to move into that number two role immediately. So I, I think the chances of Audi being transferred this summer goes up by bringing in a striker 
like Armenteros, but I, I think there's a lot of questions as to whether that happens based on how the season kind of shakes out. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. And, and, and for that reason, even though I would say the chances are definitely higher uh, than they were before, I would still, in the summer at least, put them probably still less than 20 or 30%. Uh, you know, that could always change. There, there are a number of uh, there are a number of, of variables, as you identified, that, that go into that. But yeah, I mean, I, I still think it's relatively unlikely, but more likely uh, than it was uh, before the Timbers uh, inked uh, Armenteros. Oh, uh, what do you think? How will the Timbers get enough minutes to give to Armenteros and Adi? Do you think this will be sort of a platoon kind of situation as we've been talking about? Or do you think the Timbers are going to really look uh, at sort of two front uh, options uh, as Gio goes through the course of the season? Where do you think those minutes are most likely to come from? Gio has been very clear that he is looking at this team as a four, is his primary formation being a four, three, three or some version of that. He is going to have a single forward up there. It's not going to be a four, four, two most of the time. So I expect it to be these two competing for the starting spot and at least to start the season, Audi being the starter and Armenteros being the guy that can come and lay in the game off the bench and score some big goals for the Timbers. I think that Gio is, as we've talked about, and what his background shows, is a guy that is willing to switch his formation when when the it's the right moment. And I, I do think it's possible that we'll see a four four two with two strikers more often this year than we've seen in the past. But I don't think that's going to be the primary uh, formation. And I do think it's going to be interesting to see how both Audi and Armenteros kind of handle this. I, I think it's good to have two players pushing each other in a position, but I do think these are two very confident and, and cocky guys, uh, kind of the typical attitude you kind of get out of a striker. And it's going to be interesting to see how that competition evolves and, and how, I guess, Geo gets each player enough minutes for both of them to be satisfied throughout the season. Yeah, Armenteros made no bones about it when I think you asked the question after his first uh, day of training. He was just like, I'm here to compete. Uh, you know, and there there was definitely a little bit of swagger to that. Where And look, I mean, that's exactly what you want him to say. That's exactly how the attitude that you want him to come in with of like, yeah, you know, Fernando Adi, he's a good player. Uh, he's a good guy. I'm going to be his teammate. And then, and, and we're, this is a team game, but darn if I'm not here to, to go out and try to win that, that starting striker spot. Um, so, you know, I mean, my guess is, is, is the same as yours. I think they will, uh, primarily go with, uh, with sort of that platoon system, it wouldn't surprise me if if you see Adi going not as deep into games as as he has in years past. He's he's played a lot of nineties over the last couple of years. He's played a lot of games where he and if he doesn't go ninety, he goes eighty or eighty five. It wouldn't surprise me at all uh, to see even if Adi holds on to the starting spot, uh, if he has a lot of sixty five minute outings where they want to get uh, Sam Armenteros a, a good amount of run. Uh, out there and they want to also save Adi's legs a little bit uh, by doing that. And and so, and, and hopefully maybe, you know, prevent Adi from picking up some injuries, uh, keep from hitting a wall as he tends to do uh, in the late spring or early summer uh, and, and sort of go with, uh, with the platoon in in that way. But I absolutely think Gio's thinking about having that four, four, two club in the bag. There may be situations where they may have certain midfield uh, midfield personnel out. Uh, they may just be in in a, in a space in a, in a place where they're going, especially on the road, and it tactically makes sense to go with the two front. Uh, and they'll train it to see if that is really a club that they have in the bag. And and I think that's a club that they would like to have in the bag. But I think primarily this this is going to be a platoon uh, where we will most often see 
uh, one at a time, except in instances, of course, when the Timbers are pushing for a goal late. Um, okay, Tucson, they're back. They flew back down this morning. Uh, really early this morning, the, the Timbers flew back down to Tucson. They trained this afternoon. And then on Wednesday at 1 o'clock, we will see them play the Houston Dynamo. Uh, that game is going to be streamed uh, on, on the Timbers website. Because it's midday, I asked today uh, if they plan to archive the, the video. And my understanding now, there wasn't any sort of like final definitive word. But I think as of now, the plan is yes, uh, that it does automatically archive. And so if, like me, you're working stif- stiff and you're hoping to, to catch up with the game, uh, you know, when you get home in the evening, uh, it sounds like there there is a good chance that is going to be possible. Okay, what do you expect as far as minutes in this game? Uh, I think I misspoke earlier uh, and, and said the Timbers starters only played, the, the Timbers teams went 30-30-30. It was kind of a, uh, I, I think it was actually kind of like a dirty 45 uh, in that game against Seattle, where it was 45 with some exceptions. Uh, Zarek played, uh, Valentin played a little bit more. Some guys played a little bit less, but more or less 45. Uh, what do you expect for minutes in this game uh, on Wednesday? Do you think it'll be the same or do you think they'll push to 60-30? I, I, I haven't had a chance to ask Gio about that exactly. So I, I'm not 100% sure where they're at at this point. I, I think we're definitely going to see 60-30 soon if he's trying to build up their fitness. I mean, that's at least what we've seen in the past. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. I, I would definitely expect the stars to go 45 at least, and maybe maybe 60, 30 with having a few exceptions in certain cases. Uh, and and I, I think obviously with some of the players just coming in, uh, depending on where he puts them in, I, I don't think they'll see quite as much. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think we'll find out more uh, tomorrow in, in terms of exactly what Gio's thinking, uh, probably from uh, some of the people down there right now. Unfortunately, I'm not down in Tucson anymore but i wouldn't be surprised to see 60 30 at this point yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all to see 60 30 it also wouldn't shock me if in this first game because i've got four games down in tucson in the Mm -hmm. second spell it wouldn't shock me if in this first game they stuck with 45 45 just because in this sort of four game spell they don't want to put too many minutes on legs early in these relatively quick turn turnarounds between games but we'll see i mean neither sort of result would would surprise me by any means. Uh, as far as changes to the first choice lineup goes, what do you think? Do you think we're likely to see any changes or do you think it's going to be, you know, Olam and Guzman in defensive midfield, Espria, Valeri Blanco across the attacking midfield and Adi up top? I, I I think that we're likely to see some changes there. Just what I how I've seen them lining up a little bit in practice. I, I don't think it's for sure, but I, I do think Polo and Paredes are going to slot in there uh, in those positions. I think they've been here long enough and and I've seen them at least in in some drills with the first group of guys. So we'll see if Gio's looking at different things, but I would not be at all shocked to see them slot in there. I also think Alvis Powell, who had some of his minutes uh, last time we were down in Tucson, uh, wasn't able to play quite as much because he was still coming off the arm injury. I I think at this point we're going to see him assuming that's what Gio is looking at. I think at this point we're going to see him in the starting lineup. And this is probably a good point to note, something that, that Merritt Paulson, I think, hinted at on Twitter last week. Uh, but it sounds like Diego Chara is, is fully healthy, and that hasn't been sort of the holdup. Uh, but really, it, it's been more just a matter of they wanted to give as much time to keep uh, sort of full contact stuff off that foot uh, in this early part of preseason. It sounds like you even suggested that over the course of last week, 
some of those, you know, that governor was starting to come off a little bit and he was starting to get into more in training. And you would certainly think that sometime over the course of this preseason game stretch that, that we would also see him in the lineup. I'm doubtful uh, that he'll jump into the into the lineup uh, on, on Wednesday. That just seems like it would probably be a little bit too much too soon. But who knows? I mean, we may see him for, for 30 minutes Wednesday or if not Saturday uh, against FC Dallas, I think maybe. Um, that's, that was a really sure, uh, <laughs> estimate as, as to who the Timbers were playing on the weekend, one game at a time, uh, because every game is a final. Um, but yeah, I, I do expect that we'll, that we'll see Chara sometime soon. And it's not a matter of the foot taking a long time to heal or that he's not healthy. They were just sort of being cautious. Sounds like a, a little bit more even conservative, uh, route as they took to took with Alvis Powell. So we'll see how that goes, but that is interesting information, uh, that you dropped in. Uh, about the potential for both Polo and Paredes to be uh, to be in with the first team, I think that would be that would just you know ratchet up the intrigue in the game. Question from Colin: Who is on the roster bubble and needs to impress in these last few weeks in Tucson in order to make the first team? I'm going to expand Colin's uh, Colin's question just a little bit and, and not necessarily say who's on the roster bubble, but who most needs uh, whether it's a uh, the, a roster bubble thing as Colin suggests or. A guys, I guess a depth chart issue or something like that. Who has the most to sort of win or lose in these last few weeks? I mean, I, I know you already discussed it a little bit, but I, I that person for me is Lawrence Olm because I think the more you look at the depth at center back and the depth at defensive midfield, it's hard to see where he fits in. And he is a guy that the Timbers could potentially get some value for if they were to trade him and it would open up a roster spot. Uh, for them as well. So I think that he's a guy that the Timbers would be willing to look to trade. And so he has to prove himself and show why he's an important piece on this depth chart to ensure himself his place on the roster going into the season. You know, the the other guy that I think is worth pointing out here as well is Dairon Espria. Uh, and it's because, hey, look, you know, they do have Andy Polo coming in. He is a relatively high money signing. Uh, big money signing. And so, uh, you know, absolutely, he's going to get a serious look to start. But he's also a new guy coming in. And and look, if, if Espria really made a statement over the course of these last few weeks before the regular season, these last, I think we're down to 19 days now uh, before opening day, you could absolutely see Espria take a starting spot to start the regular season. Uh, and so I also think that he's a guy that both has something to win, i.e., a potential starting spot and something to lose, i.e. a potential starting spot <laughs> and, be, and being relegated to the bench. And not only being relegated to the bench, but not even being the first attacking option uh, off the bench with somebody like Samuel Armenteros on, uh, on on the roster. And so, you know, I do think there's quite a bit, there are a lot of minutes uh, in sort of the range that you would expect for Espria where he could be, you know, he could establish himself as a 2,000-minute guy he could also slide to being a 600 minute minute guy, uh, and that's 1,400 minutes worth of difference, which is a lot of hours that I can't compute in my head while recording a <laughs> podcast. Uh, <laughs> a little bit of news today: the Timbers waived Renico Clark. Uh, we're going to tackle this from a question from Kinch, who wants to know: there used to be a lot of talk about how the Timbers rated Renico Clark, especially. Uh, at the end of that 2015 season after he broke in with T2, and, and even all the way through before 2017, uh, the Timbers really talked about how they were high uh, on Clark. What do you think led to him falling out of favor? He he had a terrible season last year. Um, I, I, I think, you know, he, during his time in T2, he suffered a massive injury and that could have led to maybe him 
uh, his ability to come back from that to some degree, but he didn't prove himself with the first team enough to earn minutes last year. And he didn't prove himself enough with T2. Uh, if he wasn't earning minutes with the first team, he at least had to perform at the perform at the T2 level. And that, that didn't happen. He, he didn't end up getting all that many minutes with T2 last season. So I, I just think, I, I think a lot of that has to do with training. I, I think there was some injuries as well. Um, and we're not seeing all of that because he wasn't always with the first team. He was often with T2 last year. But from what I can see and what I can understand, he just didn't step up last year once he got that contract and didn't show anything for them to feel like he was about to break in with the first team anytime soon. And you got to think that extended into uh, this preseason too. I mean, obviously, if he had come in in preseason and looked sharp uh, and looked like the the player or more than the player that, that he'd been back in 2015, uh, the Timbers probably would have kept him around uh, or, or found a way to keep him uh, within the program. But it sounds like in, you know, every indication is that didn't happen. Really kind of an unfortunate thing for him because it undeniably just massive, massive bad luck at the end of the best season of his life in 2015, where he really looked like he was a, a serious contender to make the first team in 2016, not let alone 2017. Uh, he ruptured his ACL and was and was uh, out for the end of 2015 and a huge chunk of the beginning of, of 2016 and didn't get back until mid to late season in 2016, a lot of his 2016 season with T2 really just looked like it was it was a matter of, of sh- sort of shedding off the rust uh, from that injury. And the Timbers hoped that he was going to be able to come back uh, and and sort of pick up where he left off, where pick up in 2017, where he left off at the end of 2015. It just didn't happen. Uh, and, and he didn't sort of step up and seize that opportunity. So uh, really unfortunate. I mean, you, you know, you see this happen where a guy picks up a major injury at a crucial spot. Uh, of his sort of development arc and it just kind of derails things uh and i mean there's a very credible case to be made that that's exactly what happened with renico renico and so you feel frankly terrible for him uh because there's there's an alternative history in, in which he could have taken that momentum from 2015 uh and turned it into a little bit longer career but you know i mean bends the the brakes uh at times so you feel bad about it uh it's unfortunate uh clark by all indications was a pretty outstanding guy uh and 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 was a a good sort of a good guy to have in the in the locker room and around the club uh so wish him all the best in the future hope we can be coming back on a podcast sometime in two years saying hey renico clark uh he put it back together and is now putting a, a nice long career together but uh as far as his time with the timbers it very much looks like it is now over a few more questions on the Timbers end from not me. Chris uh, wants to know, does Eric Williamson get any time as a 10 or for that matter, will he get any time at all? Jamie Goldberg. I don't think he's going to get any time at all, at least in the beginning of the season. I, I think he's going to really have to prove himself at T2 to, to sort of work his way up into a position that maybe um, get, can get a, some, some minutes late in the year. Uh, obviously, he kind of followed Bobasi here as as Bobasi is one of his friends and told him it was a good environment. And he looked at Jeremy's path last year and, and the 300 or so minutes he got and how he worked his way up throughout the season and, and saw that as kind of a model to follow, a hope that he could come in here and prove himself, whether it is at T2 or in training to earn minutes over time. But But I think it's going to be hard. And I think the Timbers are really deep in the midfield. Uh, so... I, I think we're definitely going to see him starting in T2 this year. He is a guy that was highly rated coming coming this season. He's a guy that the Timbers expected to go very high in the draft had he been in the draft and, and felt like it was a good move to acquire him. 
so if he proves himself at T2, if he goes there and is doing really well, yeah, I think there's possibilities off the bench that, that he gets minutes. At the same time, it's still, even if he is doing well at T2, it's going to be tough given the guys ahead of him, giving the different options the Timbers have uh, in that role. You know, and, you know, short of a guy coming in on kind of a TAM level signing like somebody like Paredes, I think this has got to be kind of the the default or primary route that you would expect these younger players to take when they first get into the club. It's going to be, you're going to have to go into T2. You're going to have to succeed there. You're going to have to do well there uh, in order to establish yourself with the first team. And as long as those guys coming in are, you know, 18, 19, 20, even 21 years old, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of teams that are, that have sort of made good on on models like that. Uh, and, And so, you know, I mean, you know, you look at, the New York Red Bulls. Tyler Adams played a lot of minutes for Red Bulls too before he got promoted uh, to the first team uh, and now is with the U.S. national team. That can absolutely be a route that works. But I think, yeah, I mean, that's going to be the primary route you're going to see guys come in and take. uh, And there are going to be a lot more that go that way than sort of step into the first team immediately and get a ton of minutes immediately. And, And I think that's a reality of sort of the new MLS TAM world in which you're starting to see bench players that are like pretty high dollar guys. Uh, You're starting to see teams able to spend more money on sort of roster spots, you know, guys in in roster spot nine through 15 uh, than they were before. And and that's a, that's a big deal. And that makes it a lot harder uh, to sort of step in straight from the college game or or straight from the youth national team game uh, into MLS. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and that just goes back to the point that I was making earlier when it comes to guys like OBC and Langsdorf, the Timbers have to get that T2 program right because they've got some real assets down there now, uh, that if they don't develop the, that if they let them, uh, sort of waste away in a T2 program that remains floundering, that's going to do real damage, uh, to the Timbers as a club and their, and their long-term succession plans. So, uh, will he get any time at all? You know, I, I certainly hope he does with the first team, but it wouldn't shock me and it wouldn't necessarily even be uh, the shibboleth of a failed season if he doesn't, as long as he does do well uh, down at T2, whether that'll be as a 10. That's not his primary position. It sounds like he's more of an eight slash a right midfielder. I mean, it, to be honest, if you were to sort of paint him positionally, I'm not saying stylistically or obviously in quality, but it sounds like he's sort of a similar midfield tool, uh, kind of a utility tool kind of player to a Darlington Nagby where he can be an eight. He can go and be sort of a, a, a winger that's going to play a little bit deeper and not going to be a guy that's going to press. He could pro- probably even step up and be a little bit more of a playmaker. Uh, and those are all the kinds of things that they're going to have to see at T2 if he wants to establish himself in the first team. At the Mike Donovan, who we know as just Mike Donovan, uh, asks, of all the players who started against Seattle, other than Diego Char and central midfielder in central midfield, do you think there will be any difference for the season opener in Los Angeles. He's asking us to look a little bit further into the future. Jamie Goldberg, season opener. Who's going to be different in that starting 11? I think Andy Polo is going to start. I think from what Gio has said about him, I, I think from what the club has said about him bringing him in, I think they brought him in as a player that they expected would be able to take over that role on the wing. Uh, as we talked about before, he's not a like-for-like replacement for Nagby, but I do think the Timbers saw him as coming in and being that that replacement in, in Nagby's spot in the lineup. And I think he showed a little bit in that first game. I, I think I've seen him out there training with the first group, at least at times. I will see how that goes. And like you said, I, I think Espria has the ability to try to win that spot 
um, as the returner coming in. But I expect to see Andy Polo in that spot on opening day. I completely agree. Juice Springsteen. Juice wants to know, while the true verdict will come from results, how is the Nagby trans- transfer looking on paper now that the Timbers have made four targeted allocation money level signings? Jamie Goldberg, do you think the Timbers have done the business that they need to do uh, in order to justify that trade? Yeah, I think on paper it looks like they have. They've brought in a number of TAM level guys that are expecting to push for playing time. They look deeper as a team than ever. They've brought in a guy like Polo on the wing that looks like he's going to be able to move into the starting lineup and could potentially play an important role and add more assists and goals than Nagby. I think it's not all the Nagby signing, and that has to be recognized when looking at that trade and its value. The Timbers have more... Uh, flexibility with TAM because MLS, the influx of TAM that MLS has given teams the flexibility with that this year. So it's not, it doesn't come down all to the Nagby signings, signing or Nagby trade. And the Timbers do have TAM left on the table to play with for the summer transfer window from what Merritt Paulson has put out there. So on paper, I, I think it looks pretty good, but the, the Timbers have brought in a number of younger guys with the TAM signing overall. Uh, with these TAM signings overall, and it is going to come down to how these players perform. And I I think a lot of it's going to come down to how Andy Polo performs because that he's the guy that's going to take over that spot in the lineup. And the Timbers are significantly worse in the attack because of that. You're going to start questioning, was this the right move uh, for them to make? You know, the, the, the big thing that sort of makes me answer yes uh, or good uh, to Juice's question, uh, is that nest egg that they still have for either late in the winter window or or the summer transfer window to spend? I mean, you could see uh, in light of the essentially $4 million of TAM that the, the t- that every team in MLS has the at least ability uh, to have to spend the, the this winter, you could see a possibility that maybe the Timbers could make something close at least to those four TAM signings. But that would be pretty darn close, you would have to imagine, in light of the other TAM players that the Timbers want to pay down, paying transfer fees, salaries for these new guys. You would have to think that that would be stretching it to, you know, coming close to exhausting those resources uh, to to make the the four signings that the Timbers have made to date. So in many ways, the Nagby trade very much seems like uh, between the, the the general allocation money, and remember, a lot of that Nagby trade was in general allocation money. $650,000 of it uh, was in 2018 uh, GAM, which is is significant. I mean, we just saw a trade between Toronto FC and DC United in which $1 of GAM was basically treated as the equivalent of $1.50 in TAM. That doesn't mean that's a sort of hard and fast uh, exchange rate, but it does stand to reason that the, the game would be more valuable, would it would be worth more than, than TAM. But that, you know, but in light of the resources that, that they got from that trade, now they still have the ability to go and, and, and maybe fill a spot that, that has been lacking, whether that's maybe on, on the right wing uh, in the summer transfer window. Maybe if Polo doesn't work out, maybe that's at right back. If, if Alvis Powell is having a, a rough season, maybe it's a goalkeeper. Maybe all three of those things work out. The Timbers are looking good and they say, you know what, we're going to go spend another chunk of TAM on another young player to bring in somebody else uh, to plug into our uh, to, to our succession plan. Um, that is, having that ability in, in light of all of the business that they've already done, still having that ability to go out and do that 
whether it's late in the spring or in the summer, I think is a really, really, really nice feather in the cap uh, and, and is a nice option to have. And look, I mean, it, based on everything I understand, that's a, it's a decent little nest egg too. It, it's not like they're, you know, scratching, you know, 15 bucks in here and and 25 bucks a tan together there. It's, it sounds like it is a, a nice little chunk of money that they still have to play with. Uh, and I'm impressed, frankly, the, that they do still have that money to play with in light of all the business that they've done. Okay, let's talk thorns. Uh, and we're going to talk about this in a chronological order that makes no sense at all. Um, the first is that Caitlin Ford, uh, we found out just last night, uh, early this morning for some, uh, ruptured her Lis Frank ligament, which is sort of in the, the, in her midfoot, uh, in, in a, the semifinal, uh, of the W league in Australia. Jamie, what do we know about her prognosis? It sounds like she's going to be undergoing surgery shortly, uh, in order to fix this, but it doesn't sound like we have that much information about her prognosis. What do we know at this point? Yeah, we, we really don't know that much. I, I think it's tough because often when we hear about these injuries as, as people that cover the sport, we have a very quick idea of how long it's going to be. This is not that common of an injury to see. I think from what has been reported out there, it, it's probably at least a three to four month recovery, if not longer. And it could be significantly longer than that as well. Um It, it depends a little bit on how she recovers from it. The fact that she's undergoing surgery is not the best time in terms of having a shorter, t- not the best sign in terms of having a shorter timeline either. She's definitely going to be out for part of the season and it could be an extended part of the season. I think we will know more going into preseason. The Thorns do begin preseason uh, next Monday. So I think at that point, we're going to be able to find out a lot more about this and other questions facing them heading into the season. But yeah, th- this is a massive loss for the Thorns. Uh, this was a obviously a huge part of the the alley long trade uh ford was supposed to play a massive role for the thorns this season was expected to be a starter and it opens up a lot of questions in terms of what they're going to do in that starting lineup without her potentially playing much of a role for for at least a good chunk of the year yeah it opens up a ton of questions uh and kevin asks uh asks the sort of at least the biggest one, uh, which what is which is what is your best guess as to how the Thorns are going to try to fill Ford's spot if she is in fact out for you know somewhere between half the season or or even the full season? Do you have preliminary thoughts on that? I I think that it's going to come down to first if she's out for the full season or half the season. If they think she's going to come back, they may not make another roster move. If they think she's out for the whole season, they might make a roster move to bring someone else in. Uh, if she, if they are going, we're going under the assumption that they are not going to make a roster move. I, I think it, the biggest thing is what they're going to do with their formation. There, there might be some changes there. There might be some changes, assuming Ashley Sykes is going to stay on the team that they move her into more of attacking role instead of a wing back role. They might move Christine Sinclair into more of that number nine role that she's capable of playing with, with Tobin and Rosso on the wings. I, I think the most likely thing we're going to see is a, a change in formation from exactly what the Thorns did last year to kind of accommodate for this, uh, because I, I do think they have other options. It's just a little bit harder in necessarily the formation they might have been looking at it and where they were thinking of potentially playing uh, other players. Um but yeah, it's going to be a big question for Mark Parsons for sure. And I do think if she's out for the full season, that might open up 
um, get the Thorns at least thinking about making another move. Yeah, it, it could get the Thorns thinking about making another move. Um, but yeah, and let's actually, I'm actually going to sort of go on in our mental notes, but let's remember this discussion because I think this all sort of ties in. Uh, but you reported uh, last week, uh, as had been suspected uh, and, and hinted at multiple times on Twitter, um, I think you can probably guess who the culprit is there, uh, that the Thorns have signed Australian international Ellie Carpenter. Carpenter is a very young uh, she was, I, I think, one of the the youngest uh, players to, to to sort of get into Australia's uh, full international team and also uh, to, to make her first cap. She has a number of caps now. She's primarily a right back uh, for Australia, has also played some center back. Ellie Carpenter uh, is going to be coming to the Thorns. It sounds like she's not going to be arriving until sometime in the summer. Is that correct, Jamie? What do we know about her timeline for showing up? And how do you expect her to sort of immediately slot into the team? Yeah, I, I think that sometime in the summer is about right. I, I think I don't have a specific date. I think the one thing we know for sure is she won't be arriving till she turns 18. Uh, she, she's going to be, which is happening in April or May. It's happening in April. Yes. Um, I I forget the exact day in April, but, but it's happening in April. So I wouldn't expect her playing till at least May, if not a little bit later in the summer, I don't have an exact date on her arrival at this point. I think she's a player that you, you, the thorns are going to want to put into the starting lineup. She is a very talented up and coming player. Then you've, we've seen already what she's been able to do at her young age in getting into the Australian uh, national team. I think obviously the thorns have a back line that worked last year. I am, as I've said, I'm interested to see what happens with Sykes. I'm interested to see if the thorns continue playing with, with essentially three center backs or potentially moving Catherine Reynolds uh, back over to an outside back position and changing up their formation. I think those are a lot of questions. If they move to more of a four players on the back line type uh, system, I think she's going to be coming in competing uh, for someone like Reynolds for a place on the field and will have to earn that, but is definitely a player that has a lot of upside and has already shown uh, the talent that she has so far um, just in her performance over the last few years on the international level. Um but yeah, I think there are some questions in terms of what formation they're going with, where Sykes moves, whether assuming Sykes is on the roster, what position she's going to be playing for the Thorns, and what whether Catherine Reynolds is going to be a outside backer or a center back. You know, in the way I've sort of thought about this signing to start with is, is that she is basically direct competition for Reynolds to step in in, in the summer in that lineup, and, and that is either as a right center back in a three back uh, in a three back setup or as a right back in a, in a, in a four back setup. Uh, that seems to be the most natural uh, place for her to step into the competition. And, and, and it also makes sense, frankly, with the, the relative strength. Catherine Reynolds is a, is a perfectly serviceable and solid uh, player on the back line. But I mean, if you're looking at Emily Mengus, uh, Emily Sonnet or Catherine Reynolds, she is the third best uh, of those three, uh, which is not a knock on her because those other two happen to be very good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that is where sort of the, the, the upgrade makes the most sense. And that's where Carpenter seems to make the most sense to step in. So that'll be happening, uh, in, in sometime in the late spring ish or summer, but there's another bit of news that, that is sort of multifaceted and we're going to take the thorns perspective first and then go to the league perspective second, but that is that the breakers are no more. Uh, the Boston breakers since 
basically immediately after we recorded our last podcast, uh, it broke that they have in fact uh, they have in fact terminated operations uh, and will not compete. The Thorns in the subsequent dispersal draft took Midge, Midge Purse, uh, Angela Salem, and then Ifeoma Onumonu. I think I did that well. We'll see. Uh, but in, in any event, they, they took those three players. Purse is, a, again, another young player, a sort of right wing back winger type uh, that it's not yet entirely certain whether she's going to be uh, sort of an attacking or a, a defensive oriented player. Salem is a tried and true uh, central midfielder, uh, somebody who has had a relatively long uh, NWSL and women's soccer career and, and, and it really is sort of a re- reliable piece to plug into just about any uh, defensive midfield, especially, but central midfield in NWSL. And Onumonu is somebody who who steps in as a young player, was taken in the first round of the, let me get my years right, 2017 uh, NWSL draft. I think she was taken ninth, uh, if my memory is serving me correctly now, but she is more of a forward type. What do you expect uh, between the three of them, and how do you think they step into this Thorns team? Do you think that any of them are starters immediately, uh, or do you think these are at various levels of depth? I think they're going to be at various levels of depth. I do think the Thorns were pleasantly surprised to get Salem as low as they did in this draft because she is a player that could start. I, I think they already sort of have their central midfield. They they already had an idea of their start starting a unit in the central midfield going to the season, but she is a player that's going to compete for some playing time there and potentially give a different look um, if, if they want something else out of that central midfield. So I, I think she's definitely one to watch. Um, I, I think that, uh, pronunciation is not going to be a good thing for me here. <laughs> I think that purse is, um, <laughs> we'll start with her <laughs> is she is the player they wanted to get at, at, with their first pick. And I guess the thorns rate her highly. And so depending on what position she ends up playing, uh, for the thorns, I, I think she's a player that they see a lot of potential in, but I, I don't at the same time see a place for her to move into the starting lineup immediately. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. And, and our, our last player here, I, I think is someone who didn't, uh, quite perform all that well last year and, and is more of a depth piece coming in to see what she can do in the Thorns environment. But in light of, uh, and just to start off on Onimonu, uh, in light of Ford's in- injury with, with, uh, with now, you true. know, a little bit thinner core core in, in the attack, she very well may be in a spot where she is a primary sort of forward option off the bench. Uh, all of a sudden and could have a little bit of an opportunity uh, even with the roster as developed as, as it is. I, you know, I, I generally agree with your take on, uh, on, on Salem. I think there's a, a real chance now that Salem could step into the starting lineup as a six, especially if they wanted to go, if the Thorns wanted to go with sort of a four, three, three look, have Salem as a six, Andre Senior as an eight, uh, Lindsay Horan as a 10, Tobin Heath, when she gets healthy uh, on the left wing, uh, Haley Rosso on, on the right, uh, and then Christine Sinclair up top. That's a team right there. That's that's sort of a four three three four two three one team that makes an awful lot of sense. Uh, you you could even sort of bend that into a four four two, 
uh, because you we know you can put Lindsey Horan basically at every level of midfield or or into the attack if you wanted to sort of, sort of go uh, even with a 4-4-1-1, kind of do it uh, Timbers with Diego Valeri style last year. Lindsey Horan can easily step into that uh, step into that role and be successful as she did early in her career, especially uh, with the national team. And so uh, you definitely see the the flexibility that Salem provides in light of uh, the Ford injury and, and the ability to do something different. I think if the timber, if, if the timbers, if the thorns end up going with the three, five player back line, it would not shock me at all if Mitch Purses is, is that right wing back. Uh, I think that ring, that wing back position with its sort of mitigated, but still their defensive responsibilities, but also the ability to really burn with pace uh, and to really get a, get forward and stretch back lines and stretch midfields. Uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, for Purse. I didn't love. Ashley Sykes in, in that role last year, I think she did a serviceable job of it uh, when the Thorns went to uh, went to that system more on a sort of more full-time basis as the season went along. I, I, I think she did a solid job, but Mitch Purse certainly has the characteristics that you would look for in that right wing back. And so uh, I think the, your, your prediction that she doesn't step into the, the starting lineup immediately is a reasonable one. But I would put that caveat on it because I think if they do go to that five back or that three back, whatever you want to call it, if they go to that system, she's going to be a real contender uh, to be able to earn that, earn that spot at right wing back. Do you disagree with any of that? No, I, I, th- I think that's right. I, I do think that there, there there's some different questions depending on, yeah, the formation, but I, the Thorns have other options as well. And I think she's going to have to come in and win that role, even though it is apparent that Mark Parsons views her highly. And you're right. I mean, there's a reason why they went with her for for their first pick in that draft and, and not someone like An- Angela Salem and, and why she dropped a lot lower um, in, in this draft, even, even though she was the more experienced player. And the one that we're looking at more as maybe pushing for even more minutes immediately. So, um, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think there's a lot of options on the table right now. A lot of questions about formation, uh, questions about health of players and, and role, roles of players because uh, the Thorns have put together a roster with a lot of versatile players that can play <laughs> defensive or attacking roles. And it'll be interesting to see how it kind of shakes out. It's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, obviously, the Ford injury is extremely suboptimal. Uh, and, and not something that the Thorns wanted to be dealing with. But, you know, I mean, in light of uh, the, the haul that the Thorns got from the dispersal draft, in light of the potential arrival of Carpenter at some point in the late spring uh, or, or, or summer, uh, you do see ways on, on the roster where the Thorns could still be a very, very good team, uh, even while they're waiting for Ford to recover. Hopefully uh, that happens sooner rather than later, uh, and it is more the the half season kind of kind of hypothetical that Kevin threw out rather than the full season hypothetical. Hopefully, also the Thorns can get Tobin Heath healthy, uh, which remains uh, an issue as she's coming off her own uh, her her own surgery, uh, and 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 can get her going uh, toward at, at least near the beginning of the regular season, if not at the beginning of the regular season. Uh, to get that to happen. So lots of questions for the Thorns. As you noted, they start open camp next Monday. Am I getting that right? Or, or am I a week ahead of myself? Yeah, no, it's next Monday. Next Monday. Uh, so they open camp next Monday. We'll start to have more answers to these questions uh, then. But yeah, lots of questions. Lots of questions on, on, on both sides uh, of PTFC. As for sta- stadium construction, if you haven't seen already, 
They built a big crane this week, and it is super duper cool. It also has thorns and timbers banners on either side, which is which only makes it cooler. Uh, the only thing cooler than a gigantic crane is a gigantic crane with thorns and timber stuff on it. Um, so yeah, that's all for Soccer Man Portland this week. Uh, enjoy the the timbers taking on the Dynamo, and like any other games that happen between now and when we record again. Uh, also enjoy the opening of Thorns Camp next Monday. Uh, and we will be back at some point in the relatively near future to talk about all of that and, you know, then probably some more. Uh, this is Soccer Made in Portland. You can find us, you know, periodically during the offseason uh, on both OregonLive.com and Stumptown Footy. You can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. That's Jamie Goldberg. I'm Chris Reifer. Thank you all for sending in questions and for tuning in this week. Uh, and until we speak to you again, as always, take care.